That squeaks underfoot. That is essentially the topic, along with a few others that are snow related on this edition of Weather Jazz. And welcome. This is a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science and even off-topic subjects. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm a senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 149 for Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. Now, this past weekend, we had temperatures that uh, went pretty cold and of course we had a very fine snow that fell and you may have heard that familiar squeaky uh, sound from the snow underfoot and that is typically a sound that you will only hear when the temperatures go down cold enough. Now I'm going to get back to that in just a little bit but uh, before we dig into that particular aspect of snow and snowfall I do have a similar question that came in to the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. And just in case you would like to write that down right now, I'll have that later on. Always available also on weatherjazz.com. It's 234-525-5888. So without further delay, here is the question that I received from Frank regarding snowfall. Hi, Andre. This is Frank from Norwalk. I've got a question. Why is it when snow has been disturbed, whether it be, um, you know, mechanically with a snowblower or snowplow or tractor or uh, maybe even walking through it um, or drifting? I mean, everybody as a kid remembers going out after the snow drifted and felt like you could uh, just about build an igloo. Why is it that the snow goes from being light and fluffy to firm and, um, I guess I would say, firm and dense and and hard? So if you could enlighten me on that. Thank you. Well, what a great question to start this Weather Jazz episode off. And we'll be talking about snow and other aspects of snowfall, even the groundhog forecast coming up in just a little bit. But first... Let us attack Frank's question. It's a great question. And if you have a question, again, I will have the number coming up in just a bit, and you can offer up a question, and hopefully we'll get to yours very, very soon. But snowfall, well, we've certainly had some. And Frank has an interesting observation in the sense that initially when the snow falls, it does seem to be fluffier than when it sits even undisturbed without having feet or a tractor or a snow blower or a snowmobile going through it. There is a fundamental change that happens to snowpack 
over time. So let's take it from the top. Snow is falling from the sky and it begins to accumulate. Of course, there are different kinds of shapes of snowfalls. And with those different shapes, whether they are plates or needles or whatever, that will determine how much air is going to be in between each individual snowflake as it accumulates. Because obviously, when you look at snow that has accumulated several inches, we're talking millions upon millions of snowflakes. Now, if you go deep into the snowpack, you will find that the vast majority is actually air. Uh, There's a lot of space in between each individual snowflake at least initially, when it comes out of the sky. And under certain circumstances, when the snow is very fine and it comes down as needles, uh, those needles will fall in such a way that there is a huge amount of air in between each snowflake, even though to the human eye it doesn't look like it. It looks like a fairly solid stack of snow, Uh, but uh, we're not looking at it from a microscopic Uh, perspective. So having said that, uh, yes, that's why it's so fluffy initially when it falls, even if it falls as plates, which would have maybe a little less air than if it fell as a needle. Uh, But still, there is a ton of space in between each particular snowflake. Now, over time, gravity will start to squeeze those snowflakes together, even if there's no compaction going on underfoot or from skiers or snowmobilers or anything, really. And that gravity will tend to reduce the amount of space in between each of the snowflakes. Dependent on the temperature, if the temperature is close to 32 degrees, that's probably going to happen a little more rapidly than if it were in the, for instance, teens or even single digits for high temperatures. It's still going to happen even at the cold temperatures, maybe not at the same rate as uh, temperatures that are perhaps approaching freezing even in the upper 20s to 32 degrees that change will happen a little more dramatically so under its own weight gravity is going to squeeze out the air and given enough time a lot of the air is going to disappear now with the temperatures that are close to 32 if it's 27 to 32 degrees during the day that compact action will happen fairly quickly and as soon as that happens and as soon as night falls and the temperatures drop off dramatically guess what Uh, the slight melting that goes on will refreeze all of that stuff is going to refreeze and so you have a, a pack of snow which is going to be more dense less air and more brittle and and after a day, even if you walk on one-day-old snow or two-day-old snow undisturbed, it's going to have a different feel than snow that has just fallen, which is very fluffy and has a lot more air in it. So I hope that answers your question, Frank. Great question. Keep those questions coming, and we'll get to those as quickly as we can on the Weather Jazz Audience Podcast Connect line. 
We're also going to talk about another aspect of snow, and that is the fact that when the temperatures go down, the snow underfoot has a different sound to it. When it is close to freezing or even even in that 27 to 32 degree range, uh, the, the snow sounds much quieter. But as the temperatures drop off, again, even on snowpack that hasn't even been walked on, fresh snowpack, it's going to have a different sound. That sound will have that high-pitched squeak that you heard at the beginning of the podcast. So the question remains, why does the snow sound different when it's very, very cold? And by the way, we've got some real cold air coming at the beginning of next week and in several uh, chunks, and you'll have the opportunity to check this out for yourself, especially if you are listening to us from the Great Lakes states, because... uh, We're going to be seeing some fairly decently cold air arrive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, and uh, perhaps even in several other chunks that may last just past Valentine's Day. But let's get back to the squeaky snow. Why does it sound quiet when the temperatures are, say, between 27 and 32 compared to when it's 10? And or zero or below even when we have below zero temperatures Fahrenheit, that snow really gets squeaky. Well, there is a reason for it. Let's explore. You see, as the temperature plunges, the sound is different. Now, let's talk about what happens when you actually step on snow when the snowpack is between, say, 27 and 32 degrees. When your foot comes down on that snow, your body weight exerts uh, enough pressure so that the snow crystals underfoot actually see a rise in temperature very, very briefly and very, very uh, a small layer. And as a result of that, the temperature right at that layer underneath your foot will briefly go up above 32 degrees. And the result is that we have a very, very thin layer where the snow actually melts. Uh, You see, when it's warmer out in the winter, that extra pressure can actually cause that snow under your foot to melt a little, little bit. And this causes a lubricating effect, and the snow crystals will actually slide quietly by each other as they're compacted beneath your foot. And by the way, the very same thing happens for an ice skater on ice. You see, all of the body weight of an ice skater is essentially going into a very, very, very thin blade. And that pressure on the ice actually forms a very small layer of water. And so, as you know, if you add a little bit of water to ice, it becomes very slippery very quickly, as opposed to just walking on ice uh, that is very, very cold. That won't happen uh, for just a, a standard person's shoe, like it will on snow if you're walking on ice um, and it's very, very cold. That ice really won't melt. But if you're putting all of that pressure, maybe one, 200 pounds, 
all on a very thin blade, suddenly that pressure is going to increase so dramatically underneath that blade, uh, that ice skating blade, that the ice very briefly will turn into a little thin film of water. And that's why an ice skater seems to glide effortlessly on ice. Uh, very, very easily, as opposed to, for instance, a foot uh, with uh, a standard tread. You won't have that happen unless, of course, the temperature is much closer to the uh, 32-degree mark. So it's the same principle, except that uh, this time we're using the, the pressure on a layer of snow, which is a little easier to see that the very thin film of water act as a lubrication so when you're close to 32 degrees even in the upper 20s you're not going to hear that snow squeak but something different happens when the temperature uh, both the air temperature and the snow temperature is below and there is a threshold that threshold is about 14 degrees fahrenheit and the pressure applied is not great enough to cause the melting and therefore instead of the snow crystals having that lubricating very very thin lubricating layer of water those crystals will break and essentially crash into each other as you step on them and the result is the sound that you hear it's that high pitched squeak that you hear on cold winter days and nights. Again, 14 degrees appears to be that temperature threshold. And that is the threshold that we are going to see uh, essentially broken going into early next week. In fact, daytime highs could easily stay under 14 degrees, even in the bright sunshine. Uh, But at night, I want you to really pay attention. Go outside and walk on some snow, maybe on uh, some unshoveled surface, whether it's on your deck or driveway, even uh, on the ground you're going to hear the snow squeak. And it's squeaking because all of those snow crystals are essentially crashing into each other without melting. And it's that melting that kind of softens the blow and softens the the squeak. 14 degrees, that is the threshold. Well, we just finished of seeing Groundhog Day go by. And that was yesterday, Tuesday, February 2nd. And uh, there's a lot of interesting things that happen on February 2nd. A lot of people pay attention to what Punxsutawney Phil says. Punxsutawney is a little town in Pennsylvania. And, of course, we have Buckeye Chuck in Ohio. And various other states also have their own groundhog mascot. There are a number of them. But let's ask this question. Is there any kind of scientific... Uh, tie-in, if you will, to the notion that if the groundhog sees its shadow, there's six more weeks of winter, and if it doesn't see its shadow, there's going to be an early spring. And the answer is actually yes, surprisingly so. Uh, Now, bear in mind, this is a, a very loose rule of thumb, but there is some science involved to it, and Here it is. If we approach February 2nd and the jet stream, which is essentially the dividing line between the very cold air and air, which is beginning to moderate, 
as we approach springtime. You see, if the jet stream is very, very, very far south, we are deep in the cold air. And with that jet stream far to the south, that means that the storm track is going to be far to the south in most cases. And chances are we're going to see a lot more fair weather so far north of the jet stream. But as we see fair weather with the sunshine and with the jet stream that far south, that says that we're not going to transition into spring very, very quickly or very easily. So it's a a very, very loose association. Are there exceptions to that rule? Oh, heavens yes. But um, somebody must have noticed that when it's sunny, typically on February 2nd, it's cold. And that's because the jet stream is so far south and not expected to begin to lift back north anytime soon. So that's why people say, okay, six more weeks of winter. Conversely, if it is overcast and the groundhog does not see its shadow, Chances are you are in the storm track. That says that the jet stream is much closer to wherever you are, whether it's in Punxsutawney, Phil, or or Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, or whether it is somewhere in Ohio or Michigan or Iowa or wherever it might be, Uh, in particular the northern counties that see a quote-unquote snowy winter. So if you're closer to the storm track, that says that the storm track or the jet stream is lifting north. That is the separation between very cold air to the north and air that is beginning to modify to the south. So if you're close to the jet stream, uh, that usually means that uh, you're not far away from the moderating air. And therefore, the old wives tale says that well, spring is right around the corner, and that winter is essentially over, and that can be the case. Are there exceptions to that rule, too? Oh, heavens, yes, there are. And so it cannot be relied upon, even with a decent amount of certainty, but there is a little bit of science involved in the groundhog forecast, and there you have it. The Squeaky Snow episode. Hope you enjoyed it today and learned something new. And I certainly did, having to research that. uh, I didn't realize that the threshold was about 14 degrees. Keep that in mind as we head into next week. Won't you help me spread the word about this podcast in your sphere of influence? Social media, word of mouth, email. Would uh, love to get the word out to a lot more people so that uh, we get uh, a better array and greater variety in the questions that we get and the topics that we hit. And so get that word out so that we can increase the audience. And by the way, special thanks to those of you that have partnered to support Weather Jazz. And we have a brand new supporter in there, Rose Moore from Ohio, along with Christine Barnes in Ohio, Bill Martin in Florida, Andrea Rich in Tennessee. And I would love to include you in that list. So if you'd like to partner with Weather Jazz, consider becoming a monthly Weather Jazz supporter. You'll find the link at the bottom of every episode at weatherjazz.com. Once more, just like today, if you have a question that you would like to share with me, I would love to hear it. 
you can contact me using the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. It's 234-525-5888. You can also contact me via email at weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And Open Line Friday, right around the corner on February the 5th. We'll uh, come up with some interesting things, I'm sure, and we'll see you right here with that off-topic, engaging episode of Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.